we are coming close to the end of Jeremiah, and I think we have some really good stuff left. We've gone through a long book. Some of you guys have been here for every week of this series. Some of you guys have, have just come for this week, and I love that. And we have three chapters left. We have 50, 51, and 52. And this is a long book, so we obviously haven't gone through everything, right? But we have gone through quite a bit together. And so I'm going to cover chapters 50 and 51 today. Pastor Sean is going to be here to cover the last chapter. If you guys want to follow along, we'll put it on the screens. But you guys also have some QR codes on those cards at your table if you want to follow along yourself. But real quick, I want to do an overview. I want to recap. I want to talk about where we've been so we could figure out better where we are going today. So if you're here with us for the first week, we actually started in the middle of Jeremiah in chapter 36. And what we learned was God had prophesied to Jeremiah up until that point, and then they said, all right, let's put this in writing. And we talked about the construction of the book, and we jumped all the way back to the beginning of the book, and we talked about calling and what it looked like for Jeremiah to be called to do ministry. And then the week after that, we talked about Jeremiah 7, and we talked about the weight of sin and what comes with that. And then Pastor Jared joined us to talk about uh, chapter 25 and passing this cup of judgment. Uh, I had a week, chance to come back after that to talk about our future hope, chapters 30 through 33, and this future hope of this future Savior who we now know to be Jesus. And then last week, we got a chance to talk a little bit more about judgment, when Babylon actually comes to judge these people and what it looks like to understand why these people got to this place and how we can be better in that respect. And tonight, we are going to be talking a little bit more about this judgment that came with Babylon. And I think it's interesting because as we consider these things, as we think about what this looks like, we have to recognize something. is that God doesn't, does not let sin slip by, even if the sinners are a part of God's plan. So if you remember, we talked a lot about God and his justice we understand that God is just, that in who he is, he, that is part of what he has to execute. He has to make sure judgment happens. He cannot sit idly by and let sin just come through. But we talked a lot about the fact that Babylon was the one that came to destroy this place where God's people were residing. And so the question becomes, what about Babylon? I mean, they sinned against God's people. They did something against God's people. They're sinning. God's letting this happen. This is a part of God's plan. And today we're going to see that, yes, it was part of God's plan, but he still can't let this sin just go. That's just not who he is. That's not who he's built up to be. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. When you have a parent that has, let's say, a, a, a daughter and a son, if, uh, the, if the daughter likes to poke the son's buttons, like he likes to say things and like to get, to get him to get a little frustrated, like, you know, get him a little amped up, wanting to like fight because she knows that he'll get in trouble. And if the dad warns the daughter and says, hey, don't do that, like your brother's going to get mad and he's probably going to do something. Don't, don't just poke at his, his buttons. Don't get antsy. Does anybody else have a sibling like this? Is this, is this relatable at all? Because I get it. I'm an, I'm an older brother. I have two younger sisters, and they knew what to do to get me in trouble kind of thing. And so if the dad finally tells you, don't do this, you can't be the one that's, that's poking his buttons or else he's going to want payback. And then the daughter finally does it. 
And the brother's like, that's it. He pushes her over, you know. I feel like it could be worse than that, but we're going to stick with that. He pushes her over, and she falls, and she starts crying. And it's like the dad looking at her and saying, I mean, you kind of had it coming, you know. Like, I told you this was going to happen, but you didn't listen. And the daughter's wondering, well, why are you yelling at me? He pushed me. And the dad's like, well, I warned you that this was coming kind of thing, you know. Then we got to also talk about the brother, because the brother did push, push her. I mean, God warned her, but... Uh, you know, the brother's got to have something happen too. Today we're talking about the brother. We're talking about Babylon. God warned these, his people over and over and over again. And finally, he has to deal with the people that were used to destroy Babylon. Think about it again with me this way. This is a little bit more serious. Within our sin, we are destined for hell. That when we have sin, we are destined to be committed to being away from God, to being separated from God, that our eternity is spent apart from him, that we deserve that because we have chosen otherwise. We have said, I don't want to follow God. I'm going to do things against what he's called me to do. And because of that sin, we should be punished for eternity. But God, in his goodness, in his rich love, he said, no, that doesn't have to be the case. Follow me, Give up your sin, turn away from it, and do as I ask of you. And if you do that, then you will not be eternally separated. It comes down to this question of, all right, so we understand that God, he offers this hope of salvation, but what about if we don't choose it? He offers something better, but what if, what if we don't go with that? We have to understand that the Babylon was going to sin against God's people regardless. What God was offering was hope and salvation for these people, being saved from the atrocities of Babylon. But what the people chose to do instead was not listen, and they paid the price for it. We have the opportunity to hear the gospel and if we take it and we run with it and we turn away from our sin, then we have salvation. But if we choose not to follow it, then, this, then our repercussions of our sin are still going to happen. We have to understand that God is saving us from things that are already supposed to happen. If you choose not to follow him, if you choose not to trust him, those things will still happen. We, but what we're going to look at today is in 50 through 51... What is God going to do about Babylon? What's he going to do with them? And I think the first way, the easiest one that we can understand, is that Babylon is going to be punished. They will be punished. We're going to look in uh, verses 17 through 20. It says, Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan and his desire shall be satisfied in the hills of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none in sin in Judah and none shall be found for I will pardon those who I leave as a remnant. So God is declaring that there is definitive action that is going to be taken. Babylon's going to be punished. Babylon is going to be destroyed. They're not just going to get away scot-free because God used them as part of the plan. They still are going to have to be punished. 
right? So when, when the brother pushes the sister over, the sister had it coming, but the brother, something still has to be, happen for the brother to be punished as well. There has to be repercussions for them as well. And we see this talk about a remnant. This is an important part of biblical history, biblical understanding. This group of people that were left that are part of who God's people are and are following God and are committed to him saying, I recognize that God is the one that I'm supposed to follow. And God gives them grace and mercy and loves them and cares about them. It's this little bit of God's people that are still left, those that are faithful. And we see this picture of the remnant. So that's the obvious one, is that Babylon's going to be punished. The next one is that God's people will have some payback. I mean, this is kind of a weird one, but it's true that there is going to be some semblance of payback for God's people, that they are going to be able to bring this back to Babylon. Look with me at uh, verses 29 and 30. It says, Summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, and camp around her, let no one escape, Repay her according to her deeds. Do to her according to all that she has done. For she has proudly defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed on that day, declares the Lord. So God is declaring and saying, muster up your troops, get people together, surround Babylon. You guys are going to get a chance to go and fight back. He's giving them this permission, almost saying, You've learned your lesson. You've seen what I, what I can do. You've seen what I've asked you. Now go and be, be used for this greater lesson. It's important to look, though, at the following verses. It says, Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall, with none to raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all that is around him. The language here turns a little bit. It's God saying, you don't get to do this, though, just on your own. This is me. I do this. That I'm the one that's going to start the fires. I'm going to be the one that destroys Babylon. That you may be my vessel, but this is my power. More likely, what God's people are probably, would probably do is say, I want payback, so I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. And it would probably lead to more sin than it would anything that was righteous. And God is declaring and pointing to them, saying, this is through me. This is not through you. So there's going to be some sort of payback. Another important point is that the gods of Babylon will fail. God wants people to recognize that he is the one true God, the real God. The, all these other gods are fake. He is the one. And then look at verses 33 through 36. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let him go. Their redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He, shall, he will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the diviners, that they may be fools. A sword against her warriors, that they may be destroyed. Have you guys ever, have you guys heard or at least noticed this word Chaldeans or maybe Chaldeans? You might have said, has anybody else seen this in the text before? So if you haven't, this is kind of an important people group. Some of you guys have probably seen this or read this before. This is a part of Babylon's people. 
Early on in the Old Testament, they were kind of like this nomadic, like brutal group. They would go and kill and take what they wanted. But as time went on, they became the upper class of Babylon. They became these people that were educated, that knew who the gods were, that knew the religion of the area. And that when people talked about the Chaldeans, they were talking about this respected group of people. And what God is saying here is that he's going to make them look like fools, that the gods that they pray to will not protect them. These fake gods will not do anything because I am the one true God. That's what he's saying. No one else stands up to the standards that God has set forward, and that's whether these people want to accept that or not. Another thing that we learn in this text is that Babylon will fall to enemies of the north. This is kind of a short piece, but it's interesting and it's important to understanding God's picture and his narrative as a whole. We're going to look at a few different verses in 51.11. It says, sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. It's talking about the temple that they destroyed. We're going to jump ahead to verses 27 through 29. It says, Set up a standard on the earth. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations for war against her. Summon against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Appoint a marshal against her. Bring up horses like bristling locusts. Prepare the nations for war against her, the king of the Medes, with their governor and the deputies and every land under their dominion. The land trembles and rises in pain for the Lord's purpose against Babylon stand, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. This is an interesting piece of history. It's an important piece of history because if we look in the book of Daniel, we hear a lot about this group from the north that is going to come and that's going to destroy and that's what's being talked about here as well. Specifically, it's talking about the Medes or the Persians. And what this, what this is indicating is that God is going to use more people groups to punish other people groups. That he's just going to let war happen. He's not going to stop it because justice has to be doled out. And then you might ask, well, what about that group? Are they going to be punished? I want to encourage you to read the book of Daniel and I think you'll get your answer there. The last thing that we see here is that the restoration will come for God's people. This is probably the most important part of this whole passage. It's the point of the passage. It's the thing that we want to see the most. We're going to look all the way at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter 51. It says, You who have escaped from the sword, go, do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away and let Jerusalem come into your mind. We are put to shame, and for we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our face, for foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will execute judgment upon her images, and through all her land the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares the Lord. It's an indication that God's people are not going to be forgotten. He's saying all these things that don't worry. God's here. He's going to take care of this. They're going to be pushed out. They're going to be destroyed. I am here for my people. And that might feel obvious, but the idea of Babylon is not something that is just for this time. If you read through the Bible and if you start to notice Babylon popping up, what Babylon actually typically means, especially in the New Testament, is this worldly picture that anybody that's against God, that Babylon represents the world and following worldly things, following things that are 
unjust, that are not right in God's eyes. And so we see Babylon referenced a lot of times in like the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, when it talks about Babylon, it's talking about the world and these people that are pushing back against who God is, that are saying, I am better than this God that you talk about. And that's not true. That's not who God is. And to say, we have a hope that these people at the time in the book of Jeremiah have hope. We have hope now and we have a future hope in the coming again of Christ. And so some of us ask, well, I mean, God knew that Babylon was bad. There's these things that are popping up and that there's deliverance. So why did God wait? What's the point of that? I want to answer that a little bit, but that question, a lot of you guys asked that question in our, for our why series that we're going to start in January. Why did Jesus come at the time that he came? And so I'm going to have a chance to answer that in a little bit more specifics, but I do want to look at it a little bit more here. I think throughout this series we talk a lot about punishment and judgment and a lot about these hard things and these places in which we have to keep our mindset on God. And I think that's true. But today we have to understand that when there's God's punishment, we have to know that God won't forget his people. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us if God doesn't forget his people? The first thing I want us to recognize is God is covenantal. He's not tribal. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to talk about it a little more in depth here. God isn't saving a nation. And I know that sounds weird because God's people are part of a nation. When we talk about Israel or Judah, we're talking about this nation. But God is not talking about saving this nation just because of where they're from. That's not what God is look like, looking at. He's talking about saving a people. He's talking about saving his people. Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about that God is covenantal, that he loves his people and that covenants are made so that he can have something for his people and his people obey in return. God doesn't just save the nation of Israel. He doesn't save the nation of the United States. He doesn't even save everybody that's in this church building just because they walk through these doors. That's not how it works. He saves those that are committed and faithful to the covenant that he has given to his people. If you have said, I want to give up my sin, I want to turn away, I want to be better, and I want to follow according to who God is and what he has called me to do because of his son, because of his work on the cross, then you are a part of God's people. You are a part of the true church. But hear me when I say this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear me when I say this. If you think that you are part of God's people, that you are part of the church because you come to service on Sunday, because you're here on Tuesday nights, because you have an R sticker on the back of your car, because you know the right post to share on your Instagram story, and then in your private life, when you're at home by yourself, you choose sin or you hang out with the wrong people. I want to tell you right now, if you have not truly given up your sin and turned away, you might not be a part of God's people. God is covenantal. He's not tribal. Now, now that I've said that, if you have truly given your life and you are doing your best and you feel those convictions and you still slip up and sin every once in a while, that's okay. That is what grace is for. But if you are constantly choosing sin over what God has called you to be, over who God has called you to be, that's when you need to check your heart. There's forgiveness for sin, for sure. 
But we need to understand that commitment looks different than just doing the walk. So God is covenantal. He's not tribal. The next thing is that we should be more aware of our own sin rather than the sins of others. When we talk about this situation that God's people were in, I think it's easy for them to be like, yeah, they should get payback. They were wronged. They did something against God's people. I think there's an important quality here because we have to recognize we are not responsible for the sins of others. When somebody sins against us, it's not our job to get justice for that person. It's not our job to go and say, hey, like this person's sinning, they're doing something wrong, you should do something about it. That is not on you. God is just, he will do what he needs to do. He will take care of what he needs to take care of. We live in such a social media age that when we look at things online, we like to be keyboard warriors and we like to say, here's what this person should do. This person should go to jail. This person's totally wrong. Here's all the reasons why. We are so focused on the problems of other people that we forget our own sin. I think it's easy for Israel and God's people to look at themselves and say, well, they need to be punished. They need, something needs to happen to Babylon when the whole point of this whole book is God is punishing his people. If they're so focused on these last three chapters of the book that they miss the other 49 chapters, then the point is gone. Don't point out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. Remember this. The sin that you committed is sin that you committed. And that's between you and God. You do not have to point out the sins of others. God will deal with that. What you're called to do is come alongside those people, point them to the grace of Christ, and remember what Christ has offered to you. We don't want to be so focused on the sins of others. And lastly, God disciplines, but he doesn't lose sight. I think there's a lot of moments in our lives when we feel abandoned. We talk a lot in this about we need to be corrected, we need to be better, Right? But when we think about these passages, when we think about what's going on here, God is presenting hope to his people. And I want you guys to hear that too. That hope is present for you. That when you feel like you're being punished, God is there for you. That if you feel like you've been abandoned, I'm telling you right now, God is there for you. That when you feel the weight of sin and the sinfulness of the world around you, God is just, he is here for you to hold you close. He offers restoration and hope for these people. I'm telling you right now that he offers it for you as well. We are impatient. Especially as like Americans, we love instant gratification. But God's people were no different at the time. That they weren't willing to wait to see if what God promised was actually going to happen. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. But I'm telling you right now, wait on the Lord. There are good things coming that if you truly commit your life to him, to following him, to say that he is so much better, good things are coming. And at the very most of those good things, that's salvation and eternity with him. If you have not committed your life to Christ, if that's something that you want to talk more about, what that looks like, talk with your small group leaders after this. They would love to have that conversation with you. I would love to have that conversation with you. I want to encourage you as I close with this passage from Lamentations. Because even though punishment has to happen, God does not forget his people. God does not forget his people. 
So if you are feeling a burden, if you feel like, God, why have you put me in this position? Hear these words from scripture. This is from the Lord. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his check to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. God's abundance of steadfast love that is found in the silence of waiting is so much greater than our immediate desires. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this picture of hope. That punishment and judgment is so prevalent on the surface. Lord, help us to recognize that you offer hope in the midst of that. Let us understand that you are good, that you are great in everything that you say and everything that you do. And ultimately, Lord, help us to glorify you with all the words that we speak, with everything that we say. And ultimately, it's because of your son and his work on the cross. In the name I pray, amen.